Big Girls Don't Cry by Fergie. That's here on Sound Awake. So we normally get into our trucking around the country feature, as I said earlier in the show. But today we were not able to get hold of our truck driver. They are busy making sure that we have everything we need and they need to sleep also. So sometimes it happens. Uh, We'll try again tomorrow. Uh, Anyway, we move on now talking trending topics. Uh, Rasipo, the real Rasipo, I see you. I miss our chats. Uh, our advocate who joins us here at SAFM talking about the Africa report and Africa updates. If you don't follow him, I don't know who you're following. You need to follow him. He's the plug. Okay, Dr. Meji Makoba, social commentator, joining us now around uh, social media topics from the past 24 hours. Happy Tuesday, Dr. Makoba. Good Tuesday and good morning. Yo, are you still sleeping today? <laughs> no, I'm up. Are you up? Okay, sorry. It was my actually my headphones. The volume was low. It's me. It's not you. Hashtag Cyril Ramaphosa is where we start today. Let's go straight into it. So uh, the president of the country departing for Paris, France, to participate in a summit of the financing of African economies. And uh, he's already attended a dinner there with uh, by the invitation of French President Emmanuel Macron, uh, where African leaders and chiefs of global financial institutions are meeting this week. What's going to be top of the agenda? I think uh, uh, the main topic there is the recovery of African economies as they allegedly been affected by COVID-19 and how can they structure their economic upturn. And more specifically, Sudan is also in the main agenda because they they are struggling financially as an African country. And the, the, the third part about the whole issue is that uh, the financing of Africa is happening in France and and I've seen the media the way it has been covering this. It's it's kind of not reflecting on how the relationship between France and, and African countries has been exploitative. It seems as if we are going to go to those countries to ask for help, whereas we are the ones who have massive resources in Africa, and they are the ones who should be coming here to asking for us to develop their country because that's how things should be. But because we are not reflecting on on uh, the nature of exploitative relationship, the nature of this exploitative relationship is that Western countries are there to help us, whereas they are actually violently extracting our resources with, with reckless abandon. And that does echo the Sudan's Prime Minister Abdallah Hamdok's uh, sentiments that we do want, uh, you know, assistance, but we're not looking for grants and we're not looking for donations. So 38% of uh, Sudan's debt, uh, or most of it is to the Paris Club. So this would be very important for Prime Minister Abdallah Hamdok to attend. Yes, and and I think their country is quite struggling, but... Uh, and I think African countries should, in the future, look to, look for solutions amongst themselves because they have the resources. And the issue is how do we ourselves exploit our own resources to run our own development? Because the interest to Africa, to the world, is that we have what they don't have. Unfortunately, we don't know how to use what we have to develop ourselves, and that's why we have in these countries talking about our development. And the institutions such as the IMF and the World Bank do talk about developing Africa, but the issue is not about that. The issue is all about 
liberalization of our economies because if you accept grants from such I mean such institutions it's not simply a a political gift it comes with conditions and normally in the past many african countries have not been able to meet the conditions and they become financial tra- financially trapped instead of finding the development they are talking about and i think the media in south africa has been uh, presenting a utopian view of this meeting which is devoid of the political nature of how these countries have been exploiting africa during colonialism and in the past 80 years mm. Okay, so with the president, uh, Cyril Ramaphosa will be Dr. Naledi Pando, our Minister of International Relations and Cooperation, as well as the acting minister in the presidency, Kumbuzo Chabeni. Uh, I wish there were also some financial institution representations there from South Africa. Yes, yeah, that's the issue. I mean, the issue is that uh, we always go out as beggars thinking that these countries are have our their best the best interest of Africa at heart and we always go to them to look for solutions and there's been a call that uh, maybe Africa needs to look for their own ways of developing their own economies and which would mean that our financial institutions in South Africa should be in the forefront of Africa, African development, but that's not the case. We are looking at the world for solutions. We actually taking a backseat. We look at what what's happening in the West, and then we try to copy that. And I think that has been the situation. That's why Ramaphosa and his his team are just ceremonially going to go there to listen to what this Af- I mean, Western countries have in terms of African agenda. We don't have our own agenda in terms of how how do we present an African agenda coherently to the world so that we in on top of our own development. We always go there as beggars. And the third part is we have massive resources that we are unable to to exploit to run our own development and to uh, to capacitate our own institutions. And the issue here is that uh, if we can develop ourselves. We are always going to be beggars because the concept of aid and grant come with a lot of conditions and they've actually been used to stall development in Africa because the more you ask money from somebody, the more you go say, we're going to ask for investment. Those people are looking for profit and they are looking for how their Western companies and multinational corporations can come and mine and make profit in Africa without looking at how the people of Africa can develop. All right, we'll uh, follow follow that story then, but we need to move on. But uh, before we do that, we need to take a short break. Dr. Meji Makoba, our social commentator, joining us here on Sound Awake discussing trending topics. Let's take a break. It's nine minutes past four. Trending news right now. Dr. Makoba, we talk now hashtag Bonang. So this media personality, Bonang Mateba in South Africa, on Sunday night published a legal letter addressed to a podcaster or broadcaster accusing them of spreading lies about her. So in this podcast, uh, it was unlawfully and falsely accused that Mateba introduced musician, a.k.a. to cocaine. Yeah, I think those were serious allegations and Mateba was quite right to take legal actions against the, the, the broadcaster because uh, 
Um, I mean, the timing of the allegations is quite strange as well because AKA has received negative media reports in the past two weeks. And now they are trying to paint him as a victim that uh, if it weren't for Queen Amin Mateva to introducing him to cocaine, he wouldn't have, have not been into this media storm. And I think Mateva is quite right to take legal actions. And I think she spent a lot of time building her reputation and she wouldn't allow somebody on social media just to destroy it in, 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 in seconds. And I think asking the person to retract the statement is not enough. I think this is a, is a serious allegation mm. that should actually go to court. It's very serious because we link it to, you know, the allegations around the, you know, the death of the girlfriend or fiancé, Anele uh, Tembe, and, you know, the the discussion also being around that it was due to AKA's alleged use of cocaine. So him using cocaine and then somebody dying and then that being linked to Bonang as the one who basically started this whole thing. She planted the seed. That's basically what this was, was saying. Yes, and it's actually strange that it's coming from a woman which is kind of trying to absolve AKA for any possible responsibility that uh, he's a victim in this situation. He was taught how to use drugs. That's the logic the, the, the broadcaster was taking. And I think those allegations are quite strange and it's not something that you can just let go and say now it's people making fun on social media i'm just gonna let it sleep it's something that requires attention because you can't spend a lot of years building a reputation and allow somebody just to make such dangerous allegation or else it's going to be it's going to be a stain on her reputation for the next few years if she doesn't take any serious actions against the person and you raise quite an important issue because this uh, presenter or broadcaster, podcaster, Ria Kopan is saying, you know, it's because people were talking about it on Twitter or in, on in social media. That also, I mean, in this area that we live in and the concerns that that could raise in terms of social media has made everything so easy in terms of us getting information. And also the freedom of speech uh, sentiment has been taken to 2.0 where it might even, you know, go over borders and certain parameters. And then that now translating into all types of media where broadcasters are not really taking responsibility for the objectivity they're supposed to uphold. Yeah, that's true. And I think the issue here is that uh, there are a lot of people on social media talking uh, about sensitive issues in a more careless way. And But once you have an established media space in form of a podcast, they can hold you accountable because they know your identity and you kind of have a followership. So in that case, it's easy to track the, uh, the culprit and serve them with summons, but if it's just a topic trending on social media, it's kind of difficult because you find that uh, it was one tweet shared by a thousand people making such allegations. And if you are a media person and you've been taught media ethics, you would want to be careful because mm. even if it's, it's, it could be true, it could be lies, some of the things need to be handled with sensitivity because you might end up in court for being sued for libel or slander. Also, I mean, who could also now decide to take a legal action is our media personality and actor Siabonga Mwekazi because uh, this broadcaster was uh, naming him as well, saying that he's the one who told them about this. Yes, and I think if these people are not 
careful because we have seen the rise of podcasting in South Africa. People are using podcasts to to commentate on on different social issues, and what they don't take into account that they are now standing media organizations that must follow legal protocols in South Africa. They now are regulated because even though they have not registered their media companies anywhere, but by virtue of being a media house, you are expected to follow certain legal rules and ethical practices. And if somebody takes you to court and the court finds that, that you're reporting of a certain issue was damaging of somebody's reputation, the chances are you're going to be sued and you can even end up in jail. So uh, Khopane being sued for 500,000 rand in damages, also being uh, asked to uh, issue an apology, and they said they would issue the apology, but uh, there's no apology that's been made public. What uh, will be next? I've seen a letter circulating on Facebook alleging to be her apology. I'm not sure about the authenticity of the letter, but that seems to be her apologizing. But the chances are, if she can apologize, she's going to be in serious trouble because uh, the issue here is that uh, if there are allegations about anybody, whether they could be true or false, you have to be extra careful sharing them on your own platform, especially representing them as the truth or while you when you take ownership of the story, maybe you can just say that there's been allegations on social media alleging that, and then you start reading people's tweets. That could be actually a safer way of just supporting on a social, on a social issue. But once you take a center stage in a story that uh, this is the situation, uh, AKA was introduced to ABC by so-and-so, then now you are involving yourself in the situation and that is, that means that you also have to go by the brand or take full responsibility for your own actions. Yeah. Let's talk hashtag Mangaung shutdown now. Those service delivery protests uh, since uh, Monday morning. Uh, also just connecting with our poll question as well as a message from Tulani in the Val there. Somebody died, a child, a teenager died uh, because uh, a shop owner, we're not sure if it's a shop owner or a security guard because the police have arrested a security guard, uh, but uh, during the protest, uh, shots were fired and this child has now died. Yeah, I've seen the story and I think the media is kind of struggling to frame the whole situation because what when you read media reports, it's not clearer if uh, the the death of the child has sparked, sparked the, the, the protest. When you read yesterday's report, it's been represented as if that were the case because when you read the lead from several media houses, they say that a child has been killed. After saying the child has been killed, and they say they've been protested. So they are trying to link the two stories as if the, the child definitely uh, sparked the protest, but that was being poorly done. And I think the, the shutdown from a distance has been represented as a service delivery shutdown. And I think it it shows how uh, systems of governance in South Africa were not meant for were not meant to protect black people. And it reminds me of EBW's words when he says a system can never fail people it was not meant to protect, which means that mm-hmm. many of the many social issues in South Africa maybe could be water potholes. You would go to a municipality and report an issue, and they are not going to respond until 
community get frustrated and now they will barricade roads, burn tires. That's where the government starts to listen. And I think it's, it's to, a, to a large extent, it shows how many of these people, because when you check the protests, mostly these are black people, it shows how their voices are continuing to be marginalized by the sitting government and this form of communication, burning tires, uh, disrupting daily routines has now become a form of a communication because other means of communication are not getting their, their desired outcomes. Is it effective then, in your view, service delivery protests? Here, the residents are calling for the Metro Council to be disbanded and they also want the city manager, Danki Somea, to be removed from office. Our listeners saying we'd rather make your voice be heard sort of in a proactive approach with your vote rather than a reactive one with protests. What do you think? That's very true. And the the issues of voting in South Africa are quite connected with issues of political literacy. And you'd be shocked to learn that service delivery and voting relations in South Africa are quite very grey. People who could also would vote for the ANC even if they they see that the government is struggling to provide basic services. And when you check why they are voting for, they would not give you any of rational reasons. And my family is part of that. They will tell you that they are going to vote for the ANC. And when you want to understand why are they voting for the ANC, they are not going to give you reasons. For them, voting means voting for the ANC. And that's the end of story. And voting is actually... the a weapon in their hands which they can use to change sitting governments but that's not being used especially in a sense that others desire to abstain because they've become extremely disinterested in politics because they think that whether you vote or you vote nothing is going to happen and i think that's a serious problem because that's the only method of powerful communication they have to change uh, their social relations in their in their living spaces Let's move on. Talking hashtag I choose vaccination. Phase two of South Africa's COVID-19 vaccine rollout officially underway as of yesterday. So over 60-year-olds are able to register and receive a COVID-19 vaccine. Uh, the ministry is uh, admitting that this will be slow at the beginning. So we can you know, uh, um, accept that. Uh, but then that things will start on time. Yeah, the the whole communication, I mean, the whole strategy of vaccination in South Africa has been uh, very slow. And this one is going to be worse because I I don't think the amount of jobs they are buying vis-a-vis the number of people in South Africa, there's actually a very huge gap. And it shows you that we are still very far in terms of vaccinating many people in this country. And you could actually say that uh, COVID-19 is such a strange uh, season and we have to give the government the benefit of doubt and eventually they're going to get the, get their strategy right and eventually everybody else is going to receive the vaccine. And I think the most key issue here is that uh, uh, at least in this process, we while they are struggling with resources and distributing them, we shouldn't see of issues of corruption that uh, somebody has siphoned money for vaccines or the vaccines have been uh, used for other things other than 
where they should be used to vaccinate people to prevent them from contracting COVID-19. And the targeting of old age homes, uh, will that help in your view? To speed things I, I up? think it will help because these are... Uh, this is a group that can easily be affected by COVID-19, but it, I'm not sure if the government has systems to track down such people because majority of, of these people find them in rural areas. Do they have them in, in their maps? Do they consider people in rural areas as part of the citizens of this country? That is something else because when you check their clinics, they're kind of dysfunctional because we know the media is not reporting much on what's happening in mineral spaces. They normally focus on what's happening in urban spaces. And this is, this is, this is mainly a group that is likely, likely going to be neglected, even though they would project it as their center of their distribution. I mean, there's quite a few number of ways to register, but I do still also get concerned, you know, as much as as the same as you for those who are in the rural areas, because first of all, even though there's a WhatsApp number, there's an SMS number besides going online on the website. How does that information even reach those in the rural of rural, the most rural, rural of areas? Uh, You know, because they have cell phones, they can SMS. But also the question is, do they know that they can actually register via SMSing or WhatsApping? Yeah, they actually try other forms of communication. Like, for instance, if you go to a funeral, you'll find that they have somebody from the municipality encouraging people to be on looking out for such things. They do try to other they try other forms of creative means of communication, but it's not enough because now only a limited number of people are permitted to go to funerals. And there's kind of inconsistencies in, in, in listening to radio in such spaces. I grew up in a village myself, and I still spend some time there. And communication between government and citizens is not quite strong. And it's true that they will struggle to get the information. Okay, let's talk, uh, I mean, also just to end that, we need to just share where people can go to register. So you go on vaccination.health.gov.za. So that's the website, vaccination.health.gov.za. And uh, you can also WhatsApp register to 0600-123-456. We'll tweet these. And uh, also SMSing, uh, you can dial star 134-star-832-star, your ID number and hash. And if you don't have an ID, it's star 134-star-832. 832 hash. So let's uh, move on then from that. Public wage negotiations now, Doctor. Uh, Union wants salary increases. It's that time of the year, isn't it? Uh, We've got the bus strike that started things off and ESCOM and now uh, unions are wanting a salary increase equal of inflation plus 4% points plus a risk allowance of 12% of basic salary. Is this possible after COVID? I think it's it, it's, it's framed as impossible, but I think it's possible because government is the biggest employer in this country. And and I think this has been framed as trying to cap the, um, the spending. And I think the issue in South Africa of spending should be framed as keeping wasteful expenditure rather than trying to tighten the purse in where it is actually working. Because these people are humans who have lives and they also have families to feed. And I think an income wouldn't be such a bad thing. But the issue is 
we are running a neoliberal agenda. Uh, most most importantly, uh, normally value has to come from the working class, and they are the ones who are always hardest hit by when the economy is not performing well. That's where they they would normally increase tax, and they would normally freeze salaries. And I I don't think that's the best way to handle it, considering that the government is the biggest employer. They could actually find other ways of uh, managing the spending of the government, and that would be tightening their purse to ensure that my every cent is being spent wisely. And I don't think paying salaries or giving these people a salary that is above inflation is wasteful expenditure. Mm. All right, let's leave it there for the day. Happy Tuesday again to you. Uh, thanks for joining us. And thanks for having me. Okay, trending topics uh, with Dr. Meji Makoba, our social commentator.